This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be to become remarkable again. The goal that I have with this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. And doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. And this podcast is all about that. The guest on my podcast this week is Aki Balog, CEO of Market Muse. I just, you know, I love the idea of teaching people information and, and not just blasting them with different types of ads. It maps to how people use the internet. You know, what's the first thing you do when you want to buy something? You start Googling it, you're researching it, reading about it, you're educating yourself. So when searchers find your content, they're they're actually you know, getting a lot of, you know, what I think of as information value out of it. And that's essentially what our platform helps you do. A content strategist or content writer with our data is twice or three times more productive right off the bat. And the content that they write is twice to six times on average more performant on search. So you drive two to six times more leads with the same content because the content is that much better. So it's, you know, it speeds them up. It it drastically improves the ROI on a human, but it doesn't replace the human. This is Aki. He's a software developer and VC with a focus on AI. Prior to founding MarketMuse, he held sales and marketing roles at InfinityDB. He evangelized big data as an investment focus for OpenView Venture Partners, designed decision support systems as a management consultant, and worked as a software engineer. Aki holds three pending patents in semantic analysis. MarketMuse is a SaaS platform that lets marketers execute scalable demand generation campaigns through AI-driven content. The promise? Realize two to three X gains in productivity and two to six X improvements in search traffic within the first six months. This triggered me and hence I invited Aki to my podcast. We explore what is broken in the market of content development and digital advertising. The cost of the customer acquisition is constantly going up on every single paid channel. And as such, it's not sustainable to keep throwing more ads at people without getting better results. Something has to change. By listening to this podcast, you will learn three things. Firstly, that a lot of challenges in business software can be solved by giving people context rather than just information. Information without context isn't actionable and hence it doesn't drive business value. Secondly, why a lot of customers stay where they are because too many business software solutions on the market, both startup and traditional, fail to deliver the so-called 10x in value. The financial and reputational risk to move or migrate is therefore simply too high. And thirdly, why every tech company should have an abdominable no-man 
who just says nope, nope, no, no, and challenge you. But it's no with a corollary. It's no, but prove me wrong. Show me the business justification. Lucky. Thank you very much for joining our podcast. And I've learned done some homework on what Market Muse is all about and the company that you run. And before we go in there, I would like to start on something that's much easier to start with, maybe. A little bit about yourself, what drives you and so on. But if you would describe yourself as a person or as an, or as an entrepreneur, what would be the words to use? Two, three words. Yes, I would say adaptability and experimentation. And I can get into that in more, more detail if you'd like. Oh, that will certainly come, come across later on in the interview. Well, adaptability first. I mean, is, is there anything that links to how you started the company Market Muse in the first place? Yeah, 100%. So the reason that I started Market Muse is I wanted to build AI or machine learning-based system that benefits society in some way. And I actually started working on looking at healthcare, looking at data in electronic medical record systems and using it to analyze you know, patient populations and the health of patient populations. And I spent a couple of months just digging around and, and some of my mentors sat me down and said, look, we love what you're doing. We know you want to help, but don't do this for your first company. It's way too hard. Regulation's hard. HIPAA, the sales model's hard. It's very expensive you know, do something that's a little bit easier to get started. And so I, you know, I started thinking of marketing technology. That, that was an area where I had been looking at investments in that venture capital fund. And it, essentially, I focused on content creation because content is information, it's education. And I mean, there's no better way to say it. It's not ads. I just, you know, I love the idea of teaching people information and, and not just blasting them with different types of ads. And so that's what started me on, on the content path. And it was pretty much a, an experiment. It, it was a pretty big pivot. But as I dug deep into the content story, it, it turned out to have a lot of interesting legs to it. I can imagine for that. And I, uh, I also liked it. You didn't go for the ads, but actually for the content part. I had CEO of Powered on my podcast. And he sort of saw the same thing. I mean, I don't think you are competitors at the end, but what he does, I think he's sort of taking the content that your, your customers are creating and actually finding new ways to get, to get the eyeballs of that content rather than kind of throwing ads at people and, and interrupting them. And I think that's where, where the difference is between an ad and interrupting and content that is super relevant that actually gets you the results that you want to have. Absolutely. And, and it, it's also, it maps to how people use the internet. You know, what's the first thing you do when you want to buy something? You start Googling it, you're researching it, reading about it, you're educating yourself. And, you know, we, we've, you know, we came from Hungary, which was a you know, post-Soviet country where they didn't have consumer education nearly as much as in the U.S. And that's one of the things I think that makes the U.S. and, and you know, more advanced countries, you know, Asia, Western Europe, great, is you have more consumer you know, education, more awareness, and the consumer you know, is better positioned to, to make an educated decision. Exactly. Well, what I'm always interested in, I mean, the fact that you, you sort of pivoted or not sure whether you've actually created something around healthcare, but you switched to a different area. What is the big problem that you're solving? What did, what did, what's, what did you see that, that sort of made a click and say, hey, wait a minute, I think this is worth solving? Yeah, the big problem is how do you write content? You know, it, it's really hard writing all that content 
any company that, you know, every company should write articles describing their products and services, the markets they serve, the solutions they provide. That's a given, but it gets complex, complicated very quickly. You know, a lot of different types of products, types of markets, a lot of facets of an individual topic. How do you cover all the topic? How can you be sure you've answered all the questions so when searchers find your content, they're, they're actually you know, getting a lot of you know, what I think of as information value out of it. And that's essentially what our platform helps you do. And the big aha moment for me was when I looked at the other software tools that people use, everything was based on search volume or popularity. So you know, I, was in the, I, I worked in the database industry writing database articles if you search the word database, you get, you know, there are a million people who search the word database in a given month. But just because there are a million people, that term is so generic, it's so high level. I don't know what the intent is, what types of database. I, I really don't know anything about them, but that's what ranked high on these keyword research tools versus, you know, relevance-based view, which is, okay, here are the, you know, five, six you know, common types of databases, you know, within you have transactional analytical, within analytical, you have columnar hybrid, you know, within column, you know, when you kind of break it down and explain it, that, that actually, you know, you, you learn something. And, and, and I realized there's no software that actually can let you do that. And so I set out to build it. Yeah, I can agree. I mean, you agree. It's uh, the world out there, the solutions out there are uh, very heavily driven by search engine optimization. And I've actually been working with a company myself that was, okay, you need to own this, this, this keyword. And it's kind of virtually impossible if, if a company of, that, that, that has millions and millions of marketing budgets can't even own that. Why should I, you know? <laughs> so there's, there's a different way to around it. And I, I agree that it's, it's about writing relevant content. But I also yeah. realize that writing relevant content is extremely hard. So, so what is the trick that you create this solution? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I'll just, to your earlier point, I'll add, so there's search engine optimization and SEO has really moved away from technical factors and it really focuses on Google actually scores your content and how well did you describe the topic? And that's, they, that's a big factor that determines your rankings. So that's definitely one piece of it. But on the other hand, you have just content marketing, you know, you have publishers. So the way I put it is if there were no internet, you would you would still publish you know in print and 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 magazines and such and you'd want to describe the topic comprehensively in those magazines as well so you know the internet just makes it a little more efficient so we we end up selling to you know content marketing demand generation folks seos and search engine folks and then you know managing editors at publishers as well but essentially the the, the solution we provide at the core of it is what we call a topic modeling system or, or a knowledge graph platform, where basically if you're going to write about databases, we'll go to the web, we'll download millions of articles on databases and we'll analyze it and we'll use that at a you know, statistically significant level to build outlines showing you essentially what content should you write, where do you have existing content, where do you have content gaps, and, and we prioritize those gaps so you can build a content plan that shows you you know, these are the articles I'm going to write. These are the existing articles I need to improve a little bit in these particular ways. And then we build outlines that show human writers, you know, how to write to implement those changes. So okay. if you're going to answer this question, how do you break that question down into sub-questions? 
and, and essentially gives them prescriptive guidance on, you know, how to execute to, to, to nail that topic. Prescriptive guidance. It's, I mean, it reminds me of, of why I started this, this podcast in the first place. It's about the, the, how if technology and people blend in the right way. So it's an interesting topic to get your opinion on. Of course, you're, you're doing a lot with, with technology like AI and like machine learning. And a big discussion in the marketplace is that people fear that they're going to be automated out of, out of a job. So what is the, the idea for market views on this? Is that something that's, that could possibly happen around this topic? Or is there the combination technology and people always going to be a better, better combination, or at least for the next foreseeable future? Yeah, Tan, that question comes up a lot when people are learning about us. And it's a great question. And it's something that, at least for this industry, we can feel good about because we cannot replace a human. We cannot synthesize knowledge. At some point in the future, there might be an AI system that can do that you know, in, in this domain, and, and that might happen. But we basically can look for latent connections. We can look for statistically significant you know, gaps and, and opportunities, but we cannot write a story. You know, if I tell you that there are four types of analytic databases, you need to essentially write the story, you know, talking about what's the difference between them, et cetera. So we can identify, we can make observations, but we cannot, we don't have creativity and you need the human to have creativity. Now that said, a creative, you know, a content strategist or content writer with our data is twice or three times more productive right off the bat and the content that they write is twice to six times on average more performant on search. So you drive two to six times more leads with yeah. the same content because the content is that much better. So it's, you know, it speeds them up. It, it drastically improves the ROI on a human, but it doesn't replace the human and it never I don't know. I can't say this with 100% certainty, but I feel that in my lifetime, it will not replace the human. There are other types of AI that would replace a human, you know, self-driving trucks would, self-driving cars, but, but not, you know, not knowledge work like this. Yeah, I said, and I think you, you nailed it there with knowledge work. It's the creative, creative aspect of it, which is less, less, less so much of a concern with, with uh, truck driving. <laughs> but that's, that's also now I understand what it means on your website. It says outrank competition, uh, makes your content your competitive advantage. And at the moment, you are, first of all, two to three times more productive. And then with the productivity, also create two to six times more performed articles. That's where it goes really adds up it becomes something that can help you scale uh, and yeah help you get noticed but also i mean i yesterday had a discussion with a previous colleague of mine who was managing the communications of the company and we had a discussion around the impact for example of systems like or regulations like gdpr not gdpr and how that is changing marketing where in the past of course you could yeah need to need the permission of people to interrupt them and now of course that is all tied to legal boundaries and actually, people and marketeers have to go back and write things that resonate. So I think that's, that's just a good thing for the marketing industry in general. And I think that's where your, your solution can help a great deal, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we see a lot of kind of that evolution of content marketing. I mean, I will say we're, I feel that we're positioned on the right side of, 
of trends from a macro perspective because people are getting tired of ads and you know the the cost of of customer acquisition is is going up on every single paid channel consistently but I will also say we were just at Content Marketing World last week which is the industry's arguably the industry's leading conference and there were about 4000 people there which is great but it's a small percentage of the you know the you know all marketers in in the US who could have been there or anyone involved in demand generation so it's certainly a smaller market and and I think we're going to see a lot of growth over the coming years you know presumably forever because you know at some point i would imagine google will replace search with an intelligent agent that kind of learns with you and 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 teaches you and and that'll be you know some sci-fi future that we'll eventually get into but writing and you know writing is such a fundamental human activity even with an intelligent agent i guess it would have to surface content so so you know writing and teaching is just a core human activity and i you know i just we're trying to expand the market to get more companies to you know feel comfortable doing it because it is a it is a significant investment it's not a hundred dollars a month kind of you know investment you it's hard to run a small pilot you know we're talking you know tens of thousands of dollars for even a small content campaign you know all, all costs included but if you do it it works so well and it pays back over multiple years so we're looking at you know 3 4 year ROI horizons and it's it's a fraction of the cost of the, you know an equivalent paid campaign when done well sounds like a thing that a lot of marketers want <laughs> so I mean starting your company when did you did you already discuss that when did the company start yes yeah, so i started working on this as a science project you know, quote unquote, science project in late 2013, September 2013. And we had an advisor, Richard Mala, who is, who is also at Avrio for a bit. We were talking about that. But Richard is a, is a, is a thought leader and a, and a visionary. And, you know, in my view, I think he's a genius. And so he was advising me. So it was a, it was a science project. Basically, I was just in my apartment, you know, writing code and talking to prospects and kind of doing the early state stuff. And I did that for two years. And, and along the way, I, I met Jeff Coyle, who is now my co-founder. But at the time, he was running the search team at TechTarget, which is a large you know, content network publisher. And so Jeff had been a product manager for over 12 years. He built the entire search and content optimization team at TechTarget o- over seven years. And so anyway, he saw what I was doing and, and he saw the, the value because I was building, essentially I had built or we had designed it unstructured. And I have to say, actually, lucky day yesterday, I haven't checked it yet, but yesterday, Richard and my first patent actually issued, the, the patent that we co-authored. So it's actually kind of a, a good timing on this conversation. But, but anyway, Jeff saw that this platform, you know, could be used for anything, any topic, any, you know, all of the manual processes that his team had been doing for years could be semi-automated with this unstructured machine learning technology. And so, you know, long story short, he joined me October of 2015, which is when we, you know, actually became a company and then started, you know, actually building, you know, a customer list and, and that kind of thing. So it's been about almost four years. Four years. So, so what do you believe are the things that you really did right in your product that makes it deliver this remarkable value? Well, you know, the easy, I guess, answer is we got lucky 
the product works it delivers value and and i you know it stands up to you can try it you know you can even try it on our site it it just works you have to use it correctly but it works every single time it has never not worked and the impact that it makes is more than a 10x you know I- improvement over the conventional you know status quo and that for us has basically meant the difference between life and death because there are a lot of startup ideas a lot of entrepreneurs try different things which is great and that's what they should do but you need a 10x or higher impact in order to you know in order to build a company around it and so you know this particular formulation of a problem and this particular formulation of a product actually delivers you know tremendous value and that's pulled us through all the ba- bad times and it's pulled a lot of talented people you know into this mission and you know it's a mission that we feel good about but there's actually something to back it up as well let me make a small interruption here Aki just explained crisp and clear why delivering remarkable value is essential to any tech business to thrive, but also survive. Delivering a plus 10x impact has meant a difference between life and death for his company. Delivering remarkable value is not something exclusive for startups to get right. It's a trait that every company can and should master. And this is exactly the focus of my upcoming book. So if you want to get some fresh guidance about what you can do to make your software business both remarkable and impactful, just drop me a note at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Back to the interview. I mean, I want to get, get a little bit more deeper on the 10x part because I mean, I'm, I'm currently finishing up uh, my first book and kind of a good part on the product strategy side is about exponential thinking. And I'm talking about creating shifts in value, not to always talk about 10x, but implicitly I'm, I'm meaning that it needs to be more than like percentages, you need to go into the axis. And of course, the 10x is a, is a good metaphor. But why do you believe that is such an important thing to even start a company? Yes. Yeah, so, and I'll say just to, to that point around 10x, you know, I found that sometimes in the early days when we were talking to people, the scale of this, you know, data analysis is, is so significant that people would just it would be hard for people to believe because there are probably trillions of articles on the web and our brain cannot, you know, understand that. So if I tell you a million articles, you know, that's a pretty big number that you can visualize. But in reality, you know, the breadth of analysis is far surpassing anything that our mind will can comprehend. But I'm sorry, I didn't answer. Can you repeat your... your... No, I mean, why is the 10x... And not, for example, why is the 10x impact that you need to make such an important thing to even start thinking about a company? Why should someone that can create 50% impact, 50% better impact uh, be Um, more considerate of that? The switching costs are high. You know, just it might seem easy to you as an entrepreneur, but for a customer with a set of workflows and, you know, different, a buying, if you're in B2B, a buying team, you know, buying teams are at least six people typically involved, you know, there are high costs of, of any kind of proof of concept even, or using the platform, there's reputational cost. If it doesn't work, you know, the person could, could suffer significantly, they could lose their job, you know, so the, the risks are high. Credibility is very low. So, you know, nobody ever got fired for hiring McKinsey. But if you're, you know, a startup, even if you're a startup with venture backing, you know, your credibility is, is still, your brand takes a very long time to build. And so there's just inherent risk. 
you know, competition, there's FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So it's a very expensive and difficult thing for a company to try something. So the reward has to be, you know, if it's just a 2x improvement, you know, it's not really worth risking, potentially risking your job for. But if it's 10x or transformational or something that could get you promoted potentially, now that's quite, you know, it's worth taking that risk. Exactly. It's good that you highlighted and that you articulated it this in that way. And I can only agree with you on that. But it's, it's something that a lot of kind of software companies still need to learn, particularly the ones that have been around for a long time. Sometimes you, you, you look at websites and you're like, so what is the impact? Is there any impact? Mm-hmm. And I'm coming from a world where a lot of things happen in the past on-premise and then move to clouds. It's like, okay, but you get a better system in the cloud. But I'm not, like, that's not the good reason. It needs to be a shift in value that I'm getting. Otherwise, I won't even risk putting my business in danger by replacing those systems that are actually sometimes even mission-critical. So I agree with you on that. Okay, before we started this podcast, you said a thing that also triggered me. Starting a company is, is hard. And what I also see is that kind of starting is, it is hard, but then the moment you create a remarkable impact, keeping that is maybe even harder. Do we have any, any, any words on that or views on that? Well, for us, you know, we've hit our stride. We're we're growing. We, you know, we're we're seeing a lot of you know inbound demand from the market. You know, we're building products. We're we're able to fund it. I will say it, it's never easy, but it definitely got a lot easier over the years. the The challenge in the first couple of years were we were building something that didn't exist. So you know, it was hard to articulate it. Very hard to articulate it hard to get backing, you know, financial backing, hard to get, you know, hard to get talent. Although, you know, we did get a lot of interested parties, but, you know, some people were very talented. Some people were just very interested and it's hard to know the difference sometimes. So, you know, it's been, you know, getting it set up, especially an AI company. I mean, one of the mistakes that I made early on is, you know, typically as an entrepreneur, you want to build something manually or with a spreadsheet first and just do it manually before you code it up. And I did a little bit of that, but I also had a hard time doing that because this was an intelligence platform. You know, we wanted to give insights and I just wasn't sure how to, you know, fake insights. And I should have spent a bit more time just building spreadsheets instead of, you know, I spent two years building the product before I had true validation that that product is going to, you know, fit a need. And luckily I got lucky, but the story could have gone the other way. I could have built something and found out that that's actually not what the market wants. And so next time I do this, I would just start with, I did, I did sales validation of demand. So one of the first things I did was I called up a hundred HubSpot partner agencies and I told them, I presented what I have and I asked them if they'd be interested in, in, a, in a demo and I got a 25% conversion rate. And so that gave me the top of the funnel, you know, sales validation. But then in terms of the product itself, then I sat down and I just started coding a backend API that basically wasn't, a, was not a deliverable. And if I would have built a deliverable manually, it would have probably saved me, I don't know, a year. <laughs> Yeah, it's all about the, the, yeah, putting things in the right order, right? And I agree with, uh, with, with what you're saying there. Yeah, well, the good thing about entrepreneurship is you know when you, you, when you did not put something in the right order, you know because you feel it every day. You know? So if you're working on the wrong thing, 
it's just going to slap you in the face every single day. <laughs> and, and you just have to open your mind and listen. And, and it took me a while to open my, my mind and, and get out of my comfort zone. And, you know, to be quite honest, I'm still trying to open my mind further and further because there are always new types of problems. But, but if you don't solve the problem, it doesn't go away. It just gets worse. Keyboard step. And getting out of your comfort zone is also an interesting one. In the beginning, you said you two words that describe you, adaptability and experimentation, if I'm correct. Yes. So, but yeah. and another thing is, and I've learned it also from a number of other people on the podcast, is sticking to the vision is, is key to, to achieving something. But the question at the end is like, how do you do that if you don't know that the vision is going to be like what it needs to be? You know, it's, it's this sort of chicken and the egg thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's kind of like to, to quote Hunter S. Thompson, you're going to ride this strange torpedo to the end. <laughs> you know? I mean, the, the reason I focus on adaptability and open-mindedness is, you know, it's kind of Darwinian. It's not the strongest who survive or the smartest or the fastest. It's the most adaptable. You know, they are the ones who, who evolve to, to meet new challenges. And, and you know, you, you start off with a base. You start off with, you know, a starting point. And, you know, a quote that I've heard around this, which is really helpful for me is every software company needs a key insight that, you know, that you can scale and build a company around. But often that insight is not the same insight that you start with on day one. It evolves to an insight and you know when you found it because you got product market fit and, and, and it starts really clicking. But it's okay to not have that perfect insight on day one. You just start somewhere with a particular direction and a set of values, you know, our company values really embody, you know, my co-founder and my values around transparency, experimentation, empathy, action orientation, collaboration. You know, these are our five company values. And so you let the values guide you. And then when you, you know, and then you listen, try to listen as closely as you can to the market and let our, your customers kind of guide you. And it'll be essentially, you know, more sophisticated, you know, versions of the patterns you, you know, you saw when you're small, you see more sophisticated versions repeating later on. And you just kind of, you know, you just kind of try to stay open to new ideas and things that might at first seem like it's going against a vision, but in the long term, they do, it does connect and it does fit in. Yeah. It reminds me of something that uh, Steve Jobs used to say, you know, it's innovation is not about what you, what you do what you say yes to, but it's typically what you say no to. So were there any th specific things where you said, okay, well, I mean, there's good ideas and customers are taking me here and taking me there, but no, this is something that we want to step in and keep my foot down. Yeah, every company needs at least one abominable no man. <laughs> you know, someone who just says, nope, 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 no. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's no with a corollary. You know, it's, it's no, but sh sh prove me wrong. Show me business justification. Show me product data. You know, prove me wrong. But, you know, when I hear this thing, it sounds like this is the, a lower priority and I need to solve this other problem today. I need to ship something today to solve this burning problem so i'm going to keep pushing this thing down but but if the you know if there's data applied to it then you know it, it's really just using data to justify an argument but but that's one of the you know especially i mean there's kind of two scenarios for a tech company f financially either you're you know you're losing money and you want to 
you know, be conservative and kind of reduce, or you're growing quickly and, and you, you know, you just got a cash infusion and you need to do everything quickly. When you're losing money, when you're poor, you know, there's a lot of pressure on you naturally. And so it's a little easier to cut costs or cut, you know, fellow employees or whatever, you know, to make, because you have to. When you're growing, you know, when you're successful, when you're rich, it's harder. It's harder to, to keep those, you know, those limits and filters on, you know, and, it, and, and, and it's, that's also why we try to be a little bit conservative around our fundraising because, you know, if you, whenever you raise a big round, you end up wasting a bunch of money. It's just, it's, it's kind of a given. You don't know what the waste is going to be, but people start building all their pet projects. They start doing all these different things. And it's good to do some amount of experimentation. But, you know, in my view, you know, experimentation should not exceed 30% of your resources. That's kind of the maximum, you know, maybe 10 to 30% is a good kind of metric. So, you know, if you, if you raise 10 million and you're running, you know, a bunch of experiments in different channels, trying a bunch of different things, you know, it can get out of hand pretty quickly. So, you know, we try to, you know, limit that. And, and that's hard. That's actually one of the hardest things about this job. Yeah, I can imagine. Because it's valuable advice as well. And I can see what you're getting at that. And having those boundaries, like, okay, there is no money and therefore we have to do it in a pragmatic way. It's always also a good thing to keep in mind when you do have more luxury or a little bit more leverage around you. Mm-hmm. So what have been, I mean, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to growth and creating momentum? For us, it's because we're, what we're doing, we call it an evangelical sale. So we're doing something that has never been done before in this way. So people don't know it's possible. So they cannot ask for it because they're not aware of it or, or they you know, may even disbelieve it, you know, which happens in this kind of thing. So when you're in a new market, you know, new product and new market, this kind of thing happens. So, you know, for us, it's really about educating, you know, trying to essentially make it as easy as possible for the, the customer or our champion to sell it internally, you know, to present the idea or our partners to present the idea. But it's very evangelical. And so there isn't, you know, a whole bunch of RFPs flying around for AI-driven content optimization just yet, you know, so that's hard. And it takes a particular type of person that can, you know, tell that story. It's, it's, it's much less, it's never quite transactional, although, you know, there are a lot of common elements that we have made, you know, almost transactional, but, but, but it's always just, we want to sharpen our ears to listen to the customer's pain point and make sure that we're delivering value. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Selling something that that's, that's not available yet or that people are not aware of is very, very hard. And mm-hmm. it's something that I got experience with myself. So, yeah, doing doing that for a while now. What is what is your your key takeaway here? Or what is the big lesson learned? Yes, it's really demand creation. So we we got lucky in that some other influencers in our field picked up the idea as well. And they helped evangelize it and essentially create, you know, help create the market. You know, none of those influencers, you know, was able to build a product in this space because of the kind of the AI machine learning, you know, requirement is kind of a, a barrier to entry that that's hard to surpass. But definitely the idea of, of content optimization, topic optimization, content clusters or topic clusters, you know, these, these concepts did not exist a couple of years ago. And now, you know, now they're being talked about, you know, in, in a lot of different forums. So, you know, it really is making the market. And, and I mean, that's one thing that's, you know, 
if I were to do it differently, I might, I mean, this has been a wonderful market to pick and a wonderful, you know, company to build. And, and it's been, you know, one of the, if not the most transformative experience of, of my life to date. But if I were to start a future company sometime in the distant future, I might want to solve a problem that's already an existing problem. Like, you know, when Salesforce came out with the CRM system, other people already had CRM systems. It was just a better mousetrap by far. And, and so, you know, that, you know, that makes it a little bit easier for, you know, for there to be, you know, that kind of market scaling, but, you know, but, on the other hand, I'm, this is an opportunity. This company is an opportunity to take it slow and kind of, you know, track the market as it develops and be the leading company in the market. And then as the market grows, we just grow naturally with it. So, you know, I cannot, cannot complain about that. No, but I mean, at the end, I mean, the, the problem that you're solving is also, is, to my, my perspective, has also been a problem that has been around for a long time. I mean, people have been creating content for decades, if not longer, you know? Yes. And I mean, the fact that you're creating a better mousetrap is because you bring in the technologies like AI, which was, was, is what Salesforce did by bringing in cloud. So to an extent to me, you are, you are yeah, changing the, the, the perception about what is possible around that exact topic and creating 10x difference. <laughs> yeah. I think we are I mean, we're, we're getting far beyond the, the, the half hour range. My book is about the 10 traits of a remarkable software company. So what do these companies do different? How do, well, yeah, how do they think different? And, and how do they leverage that in order to get people to talk about it? What is your, what is your one or two beliefs what a remarkable software company needs to be all about to finish this off? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I guess I'm kind of maybe repeating myself a bit, but it, it is experimentation and risk-taking. So the idea is if you run an experiment and it is not successful and you don't have a you know the result you wanted well one you learn something two you should not be punished for it you know you should not be demoted or you know the money you spend should not be counted against you there should be experimentation budgets across every function in the company and people should be you know feel safe you know spending time and 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 money and energy on and resources on this kind of you know on running experiments Conversely, if somebody does not run any experiments, if they do the same thing over and over and it's successful, they should, you know, their reward should be somewhat limited because that is a temporary advantage that could, you know, could go away, you know, too. So, so you want to, you know, you want to build a culture where everybody feels that it's safe to experiment, that they should experiment, you know, experiments are rewarded even when they fail. And the other thing is when you run an experiment and it gives you an unintended result, you know, then we need to be open-minded around adopting that result and, you know, seeing, you know, listening to that signal because it's, it's, a, it's a symptom of an underlying truth that we have just totally have not seen. And, and we can't, you know, we can't push it away just because it doesn't confirm to our worldview. Yeah. Well, this could be another podcast in itself. I mean, it's, it, it, it kind of drags open the whole, the whole area of creating a culture of curiosity and, and so forth. So what is next for you with your company or for yourself? What is your biggest aspiration? Yeah, I mean, for, well, you know, I can say for the company, we're looking to build a programmatic platform for content marketing. So, you know, you can basically, in demand generation, you can buy all kinds of ads programmatically and scalably, but you cannot buy content, you know, and because we built this framework that uses quantitative factors to drive a strategy, 
you know, you can actually, you can have an end-to-end, you know, programmatic, you know, platform. And, and that's really exciting to us. And then the, the, you know, the next evolution of this that I would love to be able to spend more time on, although it, you know, might be, you know, it'll take a long time for me to get into this. The next aspect is natural language generation. So, you know, today we take a bunch of articles, we find insights, we look for patterns. The next step is having a machine generate articles or drafts or any kind of insight based on, you know, a trained model. And, you know, obviously it's something we're looking into and, and, you know, we'll have some products around as we grow, but just that whole area of, you know, switching from analysis to, to generation is just personally, you know, quite exciting for me. And I, I don't know about it as much as I'd like to. Experimentation and adaptability, let it come again. <laughs> so if there's anything you could ask the audience, the community about you know, kind of achieving that, that, that objective, what would it be? How can I help you? Help me or help themselves? <laughs> help you. Help us. Man, that, that's a great question. I would just say, I mean, now this is a very selfish answer if it's about helping us, but I would just say if anybody's interested in AI, programmatic content, you know, content marketing, you know, any of these kind of things that we're focused on, if anybody's interested on any level, if you have friends, coworkers, former coworkers, family members, whatever, who are interested, please just, you know, take, take a look at it, see what you think of the product, you know, you know, not so much as a sales thing, but just as a, you know, building awareness that this exists. I'd love to, you know, connect with folks who, you know, who focus on this problem or who are interested in some way, you know, that would be selfishly the ask for us. But, but the, you know, the reason that, I mean, Tom, before the podcast, you and I were talking about the reason that I, you know, wanted to have this conversation is also to, you know, help entrepreneurs who are experimenting or working on their products and their ideas, you know, if, if, if they can learn from our journey and the mistakes we made, you know, that will have been much more worth it because, you know, it's not a fixed pie. You know, there are so many ways technology can be used and we just need more where we're limited is we don't have enough entrepreneurs in, in the world. We don't have enough people who are, you know, who really take the, you know, the real risk and the real, you know, pain of uncertainty that comes with being an entrepreneur. And you take that bargain in order to make things a bit better. And I just, you know, am completely, you know, enthralled and in love with people who, you know, who do that and, and who, you know, who will put everything on the line or many things on the line to, to see that vision work out. So if I can be helpful to anyone on that track, you know, please, they should reach out to me and, there, you know, no, no strings attached with, with, you know, with that stuff. Very good. And that's going to connect a couple of people and uh, yeah, you know what can happen from there. So where can people go and find out more about Market News or say hi to you? Yeah, absolutely. So you'll find me on LinkedIn, Aki Bolog, you know, shoot me a note. I'm a bit slow, but if you put a note in the, you know, in the description, then, then I'll know, you know, I'll be able to see the context behind your request and be more likely to see it. And then Market Muse, you can just go to marketmuse.com. You can build a free content brief example so you can score an article against a particular topic and, and just see, see how the engine works. And then there's a bunch of content you know, we've written and our partners have written that kind of walk through the platform and, and how the whole thing works. So you can kind of read up on it. And, and if, as you have questions, please you know, feel free to, we've got a chat, you can reach out or, or you know, any, anything like that. Excellent. Well, very good. And by the way, I've, uh, I've also used the content brief part and 
and I was surprised with the results on that one. So that helped me uh, already. <laughs> and I recommend it to everybody. Thank you very much for this, Aki. And yeah, I mean, I learned quite a bit of new things. I like your perspective on uh, what it takes to start a company and just to keep it remarkable. Hopefully, it's going to inspire other listeners and uh, tech entrepreneurs on the mission on this podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. It was a pleasure. And for everybody that's listening today, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Aki Balog, co-founder and CEO of MarketMuse. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So, with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas, and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs, or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News. I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.